since its founding in the Willamette Valley of Oregon. In 1882, the Benedictine monks of Mount Angel Abbey have carried on the ancient monastic practices of work and prayer. Over the years, as the church's needs, expectations, and ideas about ministry have changed, so has the hilltop. Welcome to the history and tradition of Mount Angel Abbey. With an eye on the future, it's vital to understand the past. And here's your host, Pat Ryan, to explore this timeless journey. Hello and welcome back to the third installment of our podcast. We are moving beyond the era of the greats, the Great Depression and World War II into a period of great growth on the hilltop. Back with us again is Brother Cyril, Benedictine monk and Mount Angel Abbey historian. Brother, let's get started in prayer. Okay. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we thank you for the gift of life, the gift of monastic life, and the gift of life in the church. We ask that through this podcast that many will come to realize the many blessings that we are given as monks and that we share with the local church. And we thank many people for the fact that we're here and we're doing well because we've been so well supported in prayer and resources. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. Well, we're coming out of the era of the greats, the Great Depression and the greatest generation in World War II. How did those two factors position Mount Angel Abbey for its growth during the late 40s and the 1950s? After World War II, America had been hitting the brakes slowing down for a long time and say, okay, it's time to break open. And that's what happened. And so we were able to ride that crest. A lot of people came into the church because war is a very confusing time. And so people were looking for hope and they found it in the church. And so the numbers of, of Catholics, of Christians, of seminarians, of monks, all started to increase significantly. Men who had joined the armed forces started to explore their vocations in life. So many of them went into seminary looking for answers. And so basically the seminary was able to, to develop, um, especially right after the end of World War II, lots of people were looking to how they are to serve God in, these confusing, in the confusing times of that day. And so they, um, they were looking for hope. So one form of hope came, 1946, because of the war effort, there were lots of surplus buildings, and some of these could just be put on a trailer and brought here, and that's what happened. So in 1946-47, the chapter, that's the monks who vote on things in the monastery, the, the life-professed monks, approved a number of new building units, and they brought them in from Camp Adair, which is down by Corvallis, and set up and basically set up a high school. And they developed a day school. So we had the college where, where men lived here and the seminary where men lived here. And then the day school where people lived nearby and came here. And so that was one example of a growing uh, growth after World War II. And during this period, the secular college was closed and the seminary was expanded. What led Mount Angel to pursue this strategy? During World War II, the numbers in the secular college, so that they teach literature, math, sciences, all those sorts of things, those numbers went way down because many young men went off to war. 
and then by the time Mount Angel Seminary, Emmanuel College was starting to rebuild, there were already several Catholic colleges in the Northwest. So Seattle and Spokane had Catholic U and Gonzaga University. St. Martin's was in Lacey near Olympia. And then the Holy Cross ran University of Portland in Portland. And basically, we couldn't keep up with that. So people, the GI Bill was putting people into those colleges, and basically we, we could not compete in that market. So Abbott Thomas, the Abbott of the day, made a very wise decision. And this is actually, I'm going to read from what he said, what he read to the monks. And it, it says a lot about his leadership style and the needs of the day. It says, the first objective of our school from now on will be the seminary, and this means both major and minor seminary. After this definite decision and statement of school policy, I ask you not to discuss the school problem any further. If there are any suggestions in this regard to school policy, bring them directly to the abbot or to the rector of the school. Now that we have a definite objective, let us all cooperate in realizing it. Basically, at that point, the secular college had a group of monks who supported it. The seminary had a group of monks who supported it. And they didn't have a lot of crossover, and they, they were kind of in competition. So when the abbot made that decision, he said most of the abbeys in our congregation, about 20 abbeys at that time, Swiss-American abbeys across the country, many of them had seminary colleges or seminary theology programs. And he said, that's what we do in our congregation. That's what we're doing here. And the reason he said not to discuss it is because he knew it wasn't going to be resolved. He had to make a leadership decision, which he did. You're listening to the history and tradition of Mount Angel Abbey, and our guest is Brother Cyril. Brother, what was the net impact of closing the secular college in the long run? We could focus our resources on the seminary. Part of it was showed it was a wise decision. Here we go. September 1946, the enrollment in the seminary jumped from 50 to 81, and it kept going up throughout the 1950s. So because we weren't trying to feed two mouths, we were feeding one, uh, we were able to focus on seminary education, and that, that way we were able to grow a great deal and have a clear focus for the benefit of the broader church. So in the midst of all this growth, in 1950 comes the election of Abbot Damien, known as right. the Builder Abbot. Tell us yes. about him and, and some of the initiatives that he took on. So Abbot Thomas had left a a good portfolio, a good situation behind. The church hadn't been finished, but he started that project. The church hadn't been finished in 1928 because we didn't have the money to finish the church. So we built the port for the monks and a part for a few pews, and then the rest of the church wasn't finished. So Abbot Damien was able to pick things up from that, and then, then he started to doing some of his own leadership. Abbot Damien was born in Kansas, came moved to Idaho, and then he enrolled at Mount Angel Seminary College in 1926, days before the 26 fire. Oh. He was sent to Salzburg in Austria, where he completed studies. He actually completed his doctorate there, and he was ordained in Switzerland. So then when he came back in 1945, he was appointed pastor of St. Mary Church. In 1950, he was elected abbot. So like I said, he started the—he completed the building of the church building, and then— because the numbers in the seminary were growing so much, he led the construction of Ansem Hall, 
which more than doubled the number of rooms available for students, then he is our builder abbot. 1959, he built the guest house. He led the building of the guest house and retreat house. Then 1970, a, a very famous library, which we'll talk about later. And then in the midst of that, a number of other buildings were built. We finished in the early 60s, John F. Kennedy High School in Mount Angel, which is still there, still operating. 1965, we had a monastery built in south-central Idaho. 1966, a monastery built in south-central Mexico. And then in the midst of that, the towers, uh, he, he helped just oversee some of it. The towers is the oldest Catholic retirement community in America. 1965, that was finished just down the hill from the Abbey. So he did, he saw a lot of building projects. So there were resources and leadership and focus and need. And he put, he brought them all together. Toward the end of this construction blitz in 1959, the beautiful guest house comes along. Why was that built? On the south side of the monastery, there were six guest rooms. That was it. We did not have a retreat house. <laughs> and Abbot Damien, again, he was a builder. He was very much a visionary. And he realized, we need to offer a place for not just guests, but for retreats. And so we built a building. The building is still standing to be able to accommodate 30 rooms for people to come for retreats. Well, the picture has changed a lot over the decades. Initially, back in 1960, when it was opened, It was just men coming here, single men. And then over time, women came and couples came and families came. And then we just kept adding on to it. So what ended up happening, we started overgrowing that space. We just had so many different activities. And so we realized by uh, middle 2010s that we needed to add on to the building. Hmm. And so we put together a program. And then in 2019 just before COVID hit, we finished, we, we now have 42 rooms and we have a lot more versatility, a lot more, we can have multiple retreats going at the same time. That vision of Abbot Damien for us to need a guest house, that is a, because we, we're a spiritual home for a lot of people, for Oblates, for friends of the Abbey, and for a lot of people who just like to come up to visit. So that, that was quite visionary on Abbot Damien's part. And the new edition in 2019 is, it's breathtaking. It was lovely. It was very lovely. And it's actually, the buildings are attached. You can, you can tell from the outside more easily than from the inside where, where they're attached. But the 2019 building is definitely um, a, a building of our era in terms of style. It has a roof that has plants on it. It's just, it's got, for one thing, it's air-conditioned. That had been an issue before, at least with, in the main halls and then the, the conference rooms. So just, it, it definitely reflects the needs of our era and our, our ecology, our situation here in the Willamette Valley now. This is the History and Tradition of Mount Angel Abbey podcast. I'm Pat Ryan. Glad you're here with us, along with Brother Cyril, Mount Angel Abbey historian and Benedictine monk. In addition to the abbots, there were a number of people who had a significant influence on the hilltop. One that stands out is Father Alquin Heibel. 
Brother Cyril, tell us a little bit about Father Alquin and the impact that he had on Mount Angel Abbey. He was born in 1897, lived in 1985. He was the last of 12 children in central Minnesota in a poor area there. And he looked into going to the Capuchin Seminary in Wisconsin, but due to poor eyesight, he was turned down. So he understood that he could move out here for health reasons, and he did. He came out here and he became a monk in 1917 and became a priest in 1921. And so he was one that really helped the building of the college. He focused a lot on the college. And then after the fire of 1926, he was one of the principal leaders to rebuild the facility and re-envision the college. He was very, very skilled at that. He had a number of interesting characteristics. He had taken an interest in possibly doing missionary work in Mexico. And so in 1942, he got permission to to go to Mexico. And actually, he was there in the 30s, and he got permission in 42 to go back there. He ended up working with a group of monks from St. John's Abbey in central Minnesota and a Spanish monastery. They built what then became the largest Benedictine monastery in Mexico, and when, even in his lifetime, there were 4,000 students in their school, which ran from kindergarten to 12th grade. Wow. Yeah, so he, he really got some things going. He was quite amazing. What he's most well known for, and people still remember today, is after World War II, he helped with Central European Re- Relief Committee. And so... He would work with a lot of people. They gathered millions of dollars. They put together packages, and then they sent them over to Europe, and he would go over there, and they would distribute them from Benedictine monasteries in Italy and in Germany. They were distributed to help people to rebuild their lives. He received two papal awards, 1954 from Pope Pius XII and 1973, from Pope Paul VI, and they were both in honor of the charity work that he had done in Italy and Germany right after World War II. And so he was working up in a parish in Portland, and they would bring the materials there, buy the materials, put them in packages, and ship them off. And literally put them on trains and bring them across country and put them onto ships and bring them over to Europe. And then he went with to distribute them. He was quite remarkably active. I remember reading his obituary, and it said he got things done on five continents. And he's the first monk of the Abbey to have a biography written of him. He was quite a remarkable man. Remarkable is almost an understatement. I can't get over the fact that they had 4,000 students in the monastery. Their system is really very different. They would start off with huge numbers in the lower grades, and just each year they pare down. So by the time they get to the senior, what we would call the senior, the the 12th grade of high school, these are multilingual students who are ready to study at major universities. Oxford University, for a time, would send recruiters to the school. What he helped to get started was very significant. And we don't have anybody of that caliber to have that kind of footprint, that big of an impact in Abbey history. Father Alquin was really quite remarkable. This is the history and tradition of Mount Angel Abbey. 
I'm Pat Ryan with our special guest, Brother Cyril, Mount Angel Abbey historian and Benedictine monk. Brother Cyril, we've done a very good job of covering the beginning of Mount Angel Abbey and those devastating fires that shaped the early years, leading us into the era of the greats, the Great Depression and the greatest generation in World War II, and now covering this era of expansion. Looking ahead, where are you going to take us from here? So I purposely scheduled this one so that it would end just about the time that Second Vatican Council was beginning. Ah. Okay, so the next section that we're going to look at is 1962 to middle 80s, about 1988. So that was when we really took we became a Vatican II community. Okay, so, and then also, I'm going to talk a whole, the, the last podcast that we're going to do is just going to be on the Abbey Library, mm. because that architecturally is the most significant building, certainly at the Abbey, but architects would say it's one of the most significant buildings architecturally in the Northwest. Mm-hmm. So how this moderate-sized monastery, got a world-class architect to design its building. is really pretty amazing. But in other topics we've been looking at, so in the early 70s, Abbot Damien passed away. 1974, Abbot Anselm was elected. Some years later, in 1980, Abbot Bonaventure was elected. And I'm going to focus on that because with he, he assigned monks to 12 different positions, and he set a pattern which we still live out of today. So Bonaventure was really a bold leader, and he, he made some significant decisions. As time permits, I'll look at a number of monks of that era, some of whom are still known. Father Bernard Sanders, he developed our Oblate program from 50 people to over 500, and now it's well over, it's closer to 700. Father Martin Pollard, 25 years of prior. Father Patrick Marr, who is the first, the founding prior of the Monastery of the Ascension in South Central Idaho. At Father Ambrose Zinner, Zinner Meets, by the way, in Portland, is named from his family. So he founded the monastery in Mexico, 1966. And then Father Luke Eberly, a celebrated junior master, and Father Thomas Brockhaus, a nationally recognized canon lawyer. So we have a number of people of that era. And some, many of them, their work still affects us quite positively today. With an eye toward that fourth episode and to wrap up the third, could you close us in prayer, Brother Cyril? Lord, we ask that you continue to bless us and help us to bless our guests, help us to bless the many people who come here, people who participate in liturgies through streaming services online, and people that connect with us in many different ways. Amen. Amen. He's Mount Angel Abbey historian and Benedictine monk, Brother Cyril. Thank you, Brother Cyril. Of course. And thank you for joining us. We look forward to having you back for our fourth episode of the history and tradition of Mount Angel Abbey. God bless you. You've been listening to the history and tradition of Mount Angel Abbey with your host, Pat Ryan. Join us again as we explore the dynamic past of the Benedictine monks of Mount Angel Abbey in Oregon. We'll return to the hilltop to uncover more stories about their monastic practices of work and prayer, rooted deeply in the 1,500-year-old rule of St. Benedict. The history and tradition of Mount Angel Abbey is produced at the studios of Mater Dei Radio in Portland, Oregon.